All right, hello everybody. How are you out there? You know, you guys have heard me talk about my story and things I went through. And Chris Field, who you guys have heard on the podcast before, just amazing guy. Go back and listen to Chris's episodes. He's just doing some epic things in the world. But he introduced me. He goes, John, you got to talk to Eric Donovan. Uh, just an amazing guy. He goes, stories similar to yours just be totally inspiring. So Eric and I have chatted. And Eric, welcome to the podcast. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And you're at uh, Paradium. You're in, uh, what is it, Covington, Louisiana? We are about 45 minutes north of New Orleans. North of New Orleans. I've been there a number of times. He's also an Aggie. He's a Texas A&M graduate. So, Eric, I just want you to know we did make an exception to let you on the podcast. I appreciate it. We have done that before <laughs> with both Chris and right. Ford Taylor, right? Yeah, we, we've right. had a few Aggies on. As a matter of fact, uh, the first game I ever went to, NCAA, NCAA, like D1 football game, was at the stadium there. Is that uh, right? In College Station, because uh, I went to a, a small, you know, engineering college. So we didn't have a big football program. What an experience. I'd go there just so I could go to the football games. But <laughs> seriously, that was that was awesome. The, is it called the Cadet Corps or the Student Corps? Corps of Cadets. Corps of Cadets. Wow. They were, four years of that, too. That, that was in the band. It was all amazing. It was a great experience. Yeah, they were as impressive as a football team. That's it. That's of course, it. you guys were playing a San Antonio team. You just beat the snot out of them that day. But <laughs> Anyway, so here, guys, uh, here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, let me just give you a little background on Eric, and I think that's going to really frame up our conversation because I think especially today – Here's a question for everybody. How do we move forward when it feels like life is completely upside down? Mm. And not only just upside down what the world has thrown at us too, but I have been in places, and Eric has too, where we get almost to a place in life where we're just stuck is not the right word because we actually ended up at a destination that we never intended on getting to. And if we actually look at all the circumstances in our life, our relationships, how we, you know, our job, what we're making, where we work, why we work there, all these things. And it almost feels like this is so much to change. I'm just going to have to DWI, deal with it, make the best of it. And guess what? That is just a place. We're just not meant for that. That is not operating out. We were, you know, we're meant for greatness. And when you move into a place that's just so limiting and it wasn't, but for me, it was like a slow fade. Just being a couple degrees off north, you know, Eric, just over and over and over. And all of a sudden, I ended up in a place I never thought I'd be. But here's the thing, though. Based on what the world was telling me, it was the place I thought I should aim toward, if that right. makes sense. That's right. Oh, absolutely. So here's a little bit of background on uh, Eric. So you're growing up, and your family had an unexpected tragedy. I know your mom passed away. She did. She did. I was, so I was in the eighth grade and during that summer, my mom, I did maybe seventh, somewhere in the eighth grade, she broke her arm, went and had surgery, got a staph infection, went into the hospital. We didn't think anything of it, but she didn't come out. She didn't come out. And the way your dad, you know, had responded to that and felt like he needed to, to go through that caused him to lose the family business, all of not only your income, but what you had in savings. And so this just fueled Eric's passion for helping families and businesses be more intentional. Mm. We're going to talk about the difference between return on intention versus return on investment. Um, this passion about helping families. So how to live and how to give. So it was during kind of that whole time, 
Eric discovered that money doesn't cause problems and simply reveals and magnifies the issues that we're ignoring. So since 2007, Eric's company, Paradigm, has guided multiple families and businesses to discover greatness, growth, governance, and generosity in their story, how to impact today and tomorrow. So that's what we're going to be talking about is how to get there and how to get things in alignment. And I know you said one of your mentors is Jay Link. I've read a lot of his books, uh, by the way, in the past. But uh, anyway, well, I'd like to do this because, I mean, we, we there's a lot that we put out there. Um, but I'd like to maybe bring you back to maybe when you were 11 or 12, when all this started, because this was really a big part of shaping and framing kind of where you're at today. Yeah, so I'm in the eighth grade. Again, my mom falls and breaks her arm. And nobody thinks anything of a broken arm, right? She had to have some surgery because it wouldn't heal. So a little bit of concern about that. But then she just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And she ended up getting, it was a, we come to find out it was a staph infection that she got while she was having the surgery. But my mom passes away and we buried my mother the day before I started my freshman year of high school. And so from a standpoint of emotional and things like that, at that age, I had no idea what to do with it. I'm going to tell you, I went to school the next day. I, what do you do? I mean, your mom's gone. And my dad had a couple of years before purchased another veterinary practice. I mean, he's serial business owner, visionary type guy. He had visions of growing this large and small animal practice to be this incredible thing and had no idea of any trend, you know, thinking about a transition or anything that he might need to think about inside of his business. So my mom's passing away throws this huge wrinkle, this huge disruption inside of everything. I've got a sister who's seven years younger than I am. And my dad's having to wake up every single day and decide whether or not to be Mary Poppins or how do I go to the office and manage this business as a single practitioner. And he's got bills chasing him down. And really what I say during that entire season that was just crazy I mean, his health was the worst that I had seen it during that entire time. He's working, 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 and trying to figure out how to balance this family life. And I would tell you, not doing a very good job at it. And ultimately, ended up we had a lot of I had a lot of resentment towards him. Our relationship just didn't go well, and I was left with this scar and this wound of chasing down wealth, because I really had kind of convinced myself that if we had been rich, if we had been wealthy, that wouldn't have happened. You mean your mom wouldn't have died or your dad wouldn't have been like gone off in a direction that that lost connection with you? Yeah, my dad wouldn't, because I don't know if I finished the story. My dad fell bankruptcy our senior year of high school. So Mm. I moved into a house right before I started kindergarten. And before I could graduate, we lost everything. So my dad wasn't able to handle all the bills. Everything catches up with him. He files bankruptcy. And it was almost like we had, we had, we lost everything we had. And so my, what I had convinced myself was if we'd been wealthy, my mom's passing away wouldn't have disrupted anything. And it was the beginning of this idea that I see the world throwing at us so much that money could solve the problem. And as my life went on, and we'll talk about a little bit more, money doesn't cause problems. Money reveals and magnifies, but in this situation, it was a lack of money that revealed and magnified some of the strain that was in my father and I's relationship. Some of the, you know, he passed it on to me really well, this tendency towards being a workaholic and sedating ourselves inside of work. So I went off to Texas A&M to pursue a degree in something that would make me money. Was that your sole focus? I want to make money A and then B, find a major that seems like maybe I'll enjoy it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, so I didn't do a good job from a standpoint of finding a major that would make me money out of the gate. I w- I w- the sole focus was making money. I didn't do a what, good job. I started out in nuclear engineering because it sounded really cool. <laughs> and then That's I, quickly, yeah, I quickly moved over to agribusiness. It was a good fit from an education standpoint. My dad being a veterinarian and raised in an agriculture family. My grandfather farmed cotton in West Texas and, and then with a put business on top of it, which I already understood. So it was a good way for me to get out of school. I was using school as an avenue to get out to start making money. I don't know that I saw school and the education as the path to making money. It was simply get out so that I could start making money and I could start pursuing wealth. I met my wife my senior year of college uh, and we were married about a year and a half after that. And it just began this total pursuit. Like I said, I was constantly looking for businesses. I was constantly looking for ideas on how we could just grow and build wealth. And I was miserable because I thought that that was going to fill in this place in my heart. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is if we can help families intentionally transform their life, be very intentional about transforming the trajectory that they're on, then we can really create opportunity for them to live to their fullest. And one of the very first levels of transformation that happens in my own life happened when my wife got pregnant with my son, Clayton, we, I decided we should go take a class from Crown Financial. Are you familiar with Crown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we're going to take this class from Crown Financial. And again, my number one pursuit is wealth. My number one pursuit is how much money can I make? And the very first lesson inside a Crown is you don't own it all, that God owns it, and that you need to be content with where God has placed you. Now, did that land with you at the time? It was like a complete disruption and it did land, but it really, it was, we go back to this idea of turning your world upside down. It was really one of those first places of like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Let me, this is going to turn my world upside down because I went into the crown financial Bible study almost with a manipulation mindset because certainly God's word has a word on how I can get wealthy using his word. You know, how can I go in and use God's principles to build a lot of wealth? And so, when the first lesson was about contentment and the first lesson was about God owns it all, it completely disrupted and kind of threw my world into a different place of perspective. But it, the good news is, I mean, it was a pretty quick shift. I was raised in a household of strong biblical faith and felt like, you know, so if this is what God's word says, then I'm going to trust him. and one of the first things that my wife and I did was we felt like she was supposed to stay home with my son, Clayton, that that was what God was calling her to do. And we ran a budget. We were $200 short every single month. I don't care how we ran the budget. But so what we said was, well, God's word calls us to give off the top. So if we're going to embrace generosity and understand that God is going to take care of us, and that's what he says he's going to do, and we need to be content where we are, but he's calling us to stay home then let's follow that principle and see what happens. And the transformation happened because what I did is I just said, I'm just going to trust God and see what happens in this. And in that entire year, we never went short a single month and paid off $5,000 in debt. And that was the first time of revelation of, okay, so I may have been pursuing wealth. I may have been pursuing something outside of myself, but God's word shows a faithfulness if I'll be obedient to what he says, 
then I can trust him in that. And so I started trusting him and I started just, okay, so we'll live this lifestyle with generosity at the forefront of what we're doing. And one of the things I always tell people when I tell that story is one of the coolest parts of that year was we had zero connection to a church. And so we had a ball giving because we were just waiting for stuff to come in the mail and stuff to come <laughs> into us to just be like, where can we give that would be a fun place to give is one of the things I always tell people is just rediscovering the joy and generosity is one of the greatest things you can do. And so fast forward yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we do that with the National Christian Foundation. We have a donor advised fund. Yeah. We put 10% of all of our income in there. And it kind of, you know, slowly kind of accumulates a little bit. And then as something comes across and the kids are involved, we say, hey, yeah. somebody needs $2,500 to bring their, you know, somebody on a mission trip. Or here's a need here. You know, what do you guys think? And then, yep. we, you know, so, but I have a question for you too, because you've talked about this. And I'm just curious whether this came before or after, as you started to get into some transformation. You had times in your life where you were just going back and forth between healthy and unhealthy, and you'd go nuts sometimes on the fitness routine. You described it as like sedating yourself in fitness and yeah. CrossFit and Spartan races. And you also had a period too, and, and I can relate to this, right? You felt like God had promised you the business would prosper, but you watched these seasons, these struggles, and you had some doubts, right? Sometimes you had these agonizing prayers, and you're just wondering, honestly, if you'd even make it. Now, was this ah. leading up to this, or did this also happen as you had some of this transformation, Eric? No, so I walked in a really good season for about five years. We moved to Louisiana so my oldest son is born and my second son was born. And then I had a daughter who was born in about that time. So it's about a five-year period. About that time, I call, God called me to step out on my own and start my own business. And one of the things that I know pretty much is true is when you're raising young kids, it's hard to maintain health because you've got everything going on. You got, you're just pulled in a million different directions. No kids are sleeping. Nothing's happening. But I started that business and God's promise was that that business would prosper. And so this is about 2007, I launched my business. My wife and I were married in 1996. So, and my oldest was born in 2001. 2007 is when this business started. And we went into that business and things were going really, really well, even despite 2007, 2008. But when my kids got, when Clayton got to be about five or, I got to be a little bit older, I'm trying to remember, so Grayson was born about seven or eight years old he was, I started feeling like I could get some of my health and things like that back. And generosity was still a part of the life, but I had been given this business and the tendencies that my dad had came roaring right back in. Mm. So I may have understood generosity, but at the same time, God had blessed me with a business that was making some good income. And I tell you, I still had this story sitting in the back of my head that, well, I've still got to build some wealth to protect myself. And so it was from about 2007 it really started, it really kicked in maybe about 2010. And for about another five to six year period, I am, I'm going back and forth from driving myself crazy inside a business to run the business and make things work. I feel like God has told me the business is going to prosper. And we do, we go through seasons where we have a lot of outflow. I mean, a lot of money coming in and yeah. then turn around and we use up all of that inflow to keep the business running you know, there's seasons you put the payroll on credit card, just hoping that the next season's going to be a little bit better. Yep, and, I've been there, done that. You know, inside <laughs> of, I will tell you, the worst things got from that standpoint 
would be when I would run into fitness for sedation because I had to go somewhere. The noise was so loud in my head, working out at CrossFit, running Spartan races, things like that were the only places I could go that would quiet the noise. And so I would run into those places and it was still that constant pursuit of kind of I'm after wealth, I'm after production and spending time at the office, ignoring my family when I should have been home. You know, all of those things happening and we reach, I like to say there were three big pieces of transformation in my life. So I told you about the first was the crown experience. The second one happened on the 30th anniversary of my mom passing away. I went to an event over the summer called Quest, um, a group out of Dallas, Texas called Fellowship of the Sword, has five days of chasing after the heart of God. Mm. And I went to that event for five days with no cell phone, no access to anything. And during that event, there was a moment where we, they send you out for the day. And God was guiding my steps and sent me into the woods to this tree where I was going to hang up a hammock. And But wrapped around one end of the tree were all these vines and all these thorns and a bunch of pieces like that. And God's like, get to work. So, what are you talking about? He's like, you've got to cut all this out. So, I spent about 30 minutes cutting everything out. And my hands were bloody and all a mess. And God said, look at your hands. I was like, okay. And he said, this is what you do to people. People try and love you. People try and get close to you and you leave them, you're like thorns. You leave them bloody and you leave them a mess. And this is how you treat people. And that revelation was, it hit me because I was like, wow, something has to change. Something has to change within me. Something has to change within the way that I love my family, within the way that I treat my family. What were some of those things, Eric, you were doing, you think, that left people bloody? Now, you talked about your family, right? You got so focused on the work that you were, there was neglect. Yeah. Right. And I, I've been there too. And sometimes actually that in my mind, it wasn't neglect. This is me actually providing for the family. Sorry, there's a price that we all have to pay yep. for us to actually have, an, you know, to be debt free, to save and, you know, do the things I wanted to do as a family. And, and in my head, that's how I justified it. Now, looking back, it's because I had not involved God in any of my plans and I was trying to work so hard. Because right. I never put it up to him and say, hey, God, I trust you. That's it. I, I, you know, we had somebody on the podcast, Ken Eldred, who's, who's uh, one of the wealthiest guys we've had on the podcast, um, built a couple kingdom companies, uh, got recognized as the Silicon Valley Company of the Year. Mm-hmm. He said he never worked more than 40 hours a week, ever, and wouldn't let anybody in his company, even in Silicon Valley, this was very countercultural, do that either by the way. And I'm like, wow. You know why? Because he just, he trusted God for everything that they did and every decision. He goes at five o'clock, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. It's family time. Don't call me. His executives used to chase him out to try to talk to him between 4.45 and 5 when he was down toward the lobby to get, you know, and they're like, yeah, I got to work late on the project. And he's like, no, you don't get to work late. And then if you have to work late, then we need to fix something. But for me, that was like, oh, my God, I couldn't even relate to that mindset, Eric, back when I was, you know, in technology and then in finance. Well, I think that you you hit on a key word, which is trust. Mm -hmm. So, And then there's the lip service of do I trust God and there's the actions of do I trust God? Because I would say from a lip service standpoint, I was saying all the right things. But did I trust God? No, because I was living so much in trying to control my life and trying to control the outcome 
uh, that I thought that God needed a whole lot more of my effort and I needed to be the one doing it. I needed to be the one investing in it and creating it. God had given me this because the crazy part of God said that this would prosper is, did I trust him that he was going to be the one to prosper it, or did I feel the responsibility that I had to prosper it? You asked me kind of, I think about this trust side of this. When I came back from Quest, one of the things I told my staff was, for the first time ever in my life, what I recognize is that we're on a journey together. I always thought that I was on a journey and I was just dragging them along with me. And so I treated them not as people who were journeying with me, but people that I was using to get to where I wanted to go. And that's an awful thing to say, but that was the viewpoint I had before I really understood. Well, no, I understand that. I think when you're in that mode, you see people as objects yeah. versus seeing them as actual human beings that have their own needs, their own vision, their own passions, their own dreams in life, right? And I guess to sum it all up, what I've realized is a rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. And if I can show up versus seeing them as a boat that's going to get me to my destination versus somebody that I can develop, equip, empower, and inspire and help them become a better version of themselves, and you do that to everybody around you, all of a sudden the organization can transform in a very short period of time. And then as a team, you can accomplish things you never thought possible. Now, maybe that sounds to people listening like, oh, that sounds kind of like a simple formula. <laughs> that actually takes a lot of work. And you talked about return on intentionality before we started. Yeah. That takes a tremendous amount of intentionality to operate a business as a, the leader of that company from that place. It does. Yeah. Let me do this real quick because this will not take long. Let me tell you the last little piece of this transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so powerful. Is so that I come back from Quest, things are better, but I'm still not completely straight and clear on what I'm supposed to be doing. Again, I'm running this God business. My staff will tell you there's a complete night and day difference, but I was still driving some things forward. I was on the road at that point, probably so half of the days out of the month, I'd be on the road. I'd be traveling. And I was always telling my son, Austin, I was like, next year, it's going to be better. Next year, it's going to be better. One day he looked at me and he's like, next year's never coming, is it? Because it's already next year. And mm. you're still on the road. How old was and Austin then, Eric? He's 16 today. He was about 13 when he said that. Wow. And about a month after that, a friend of mine pulled me aside and he said, look, I hear you talking all about this, about being intentional and loving your family and being, you know, everything that you talk about. I just need to know why you hate your family. I was like, excuse me? I don't hate my family. He goes, well, look, all I know is you talk about evidence and fruit and all this other stuff. And I look at the evidence of your life, you're gone half the month. And all that I could figure out is that you must just hate your family because you just want to be gone. That was the last moment I've had because I'll continue to have other transformations of just this total surrender of God going, look, I've promised you this business will prosper. Will you just let go and trust me? And it was about a year and a half ago that that happened. And I pulled myself off the road I started equipping more people on my team and started doing other things. And the mission statement of Paradigm is to seek first, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness with this idea. The other side of that scripture is God will take care of everything else. So what God says inside of that scripture is if you will take care of my kingdom, I will take care of yours. And what this really began to evidence and happen inside of my life, when we talk about turning life upside down, is the minute I started having a healthy respect for how I treated my body, not sedating and not all the way that I'm ignoring it. 
when I begin to understand the importance of making connected time with God on a regular basis, when I made it a point to be spending committed time, date nights with my wife and other committed time with her, specific time with my children and being home. And I prioritized those three things before I went to work and before I went into the business. All of a sudden, I had a level of peace I'd never had before. Hmm. I had a clarity I had never had before. And almost like your friend had talked about not working more than 40 hours a week, I started working a whole lot less and the business did better. It performed better. And we all are chasing down, you talked about this return on intention, we're all chasing down something. What we don't want to do is spend our lives chasing this down. And I think the phrase is, you know, spending time climbing a ladder only to find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. How do we spend our entire lives chasing something down? Because what the world tells me, John, and I don't know what your experience has been, but I mean, there are days where I've woken up and I just feel like a human ATM machine. I am here to go make money for the family so that the family can have what they need and the family can be blessed, but I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about what I need to do for others. And I feel like a hero because I'm thinking about others, not thinking about me. But you know what else? When I was in that mode too, when I felt like that, and I knew that I'd created this lifestyle because of my, how many hours I was working that I didn't get to participate in. Yeah. So I love my wife and my family, but I also felt resentful. Yes. Right. I'd come home and they're like, how was your day? Oh, we went to the zoo. I'm like, oh, must be nice. Right. Instead, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I was a, I was kind of a jack wagon. Yeah. But think about though, when you're in that mode and I used to, I called it smoldering discontent, mm. but I got to tell you something really struck me that, I mean, this was a huge epiphany for you. And this is one person coming to you and giving you some feedback. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's so important for us as Christian men and women to care more about, uh, this is unconditional love, that we care more about somebody and who they are versus how they feel about us. Mm. And that's what happened there. And think about that. That doesn't mean that we're always, you know, that's not a nice thing to say. No. And, and, you know, and the word nice is actually not in the scripture. It's up one place. But guess what? It was probably the kindest thing yeah. because they cared about you for somebody to say. And I know this, when people have spoken into my life now also, on the other end of that, I would just ask people on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're great at this and you welcome it, one being you just walk away. What do you do when somebody shares with you feedback that either you don't agree with, is out of alignment with how you want to see yourself or be known in the world, or is actually just makes you really confront an uncomfortable truth that you actually know is there, but you've never really processed. And I think, I know for me, uh, Eric, this is something I've had to work on, and I would just encourage everybody, whatever, let's say I'm a two, or you're a four, or you're a five, whatever you ranked yourself, a seven, ask yourself, hey, what would a plus one look like? Yes. Because when people give us feedback, it is... That doesn't mean we have to change, but a lot of feedback, it comes from how other people are either observing us or experiencing us. That's right. And if we really care about our relationship, either with them or other people that that behavior might be affecting, we have to actually sit down and think about it. Maybe go ask other people, hey, honey, I'm gone two weeks out of the month. How do you, do you feel loved? Mm. And I know my wife would have been like, uh, yeah, of course. Well, just her tone of voice would have told me that, 
okay, am I willing to make some changes? Because right. But anyway, I just love that you had a friend that loved you enough to actually share something with you that maybe nobody else in your whole life shared, but everybody else was maybe observing. Yeah. And I, I think that's powerful. Now, if you give feedback to people, you have to do it from a place of love and not a place of judgment or criticism. That's right. Right. You have to, you know, deal with the facts. I think it's a place for us to be humble. I could be wrong, but this is me. This is what I'm observing. You're never home. But anyway, I just wanted to highlight that because sometimes some of the feedback I've gotten from friends that was hard to hear like you was some of the biggest inflection points in my life. And I was so glad that some of these close friends had the courage to share with me, John, you're, you know, you're a pretty good guy, but there's this one or two things you do that are, it's really harming your relationships, your reputation, your marriage, you know, things like that. So good. So um, here's my second question, and I'd love your thoughts on this. You said, if you'll take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of yours. Yours mean God taking care of your life and everything around you. And, and Eric, what does it look like for you to take care of God's kingdom? And then how would you share that with everybody out there listening, what it would look like for them to take care of God's kingdom? Well, so you mentioned Jay Link, who mentored me. He taught me this little lesson that's kind of become like my check in every single day. So he made the comment, he said, look, there's one question you can ask, but there's three different ways it can be asked that will determine how well you're aligning with God's kingdom. So the first one is, what do I want to do with what I've been called to manage, steward, take care of? What do I want to do with it? That's version one. Version two is, I acknowledge that God owns it all. So what do I want to do with what God's equipped and given to me? Or version three is, what does God want me to do with everything he's equipped and given to me? And John, I don't know how it is for you. I'm going to tell you what, every single morning I wake up and my tendency is I'll acknowledge God owns it all, but my first step typically is towards what do I want to do? And it's that pausing, it's that slowing down, it's that committed time every single day of going, God, I know what my tendency is. My tendency is to launch off into what I want to do, but what you are, I'm calling you Lord of my life. I'm giving you authority to do that. Your word says that if I take care of your kingdom, then you'll take care of mine. So what, what can I be about in your kingdom today, taking care of and doing that you would have me do that, with the authority and everything that you've given to me? And inside of that, that simple little reset, I think is a great exercise, not only for me, but for everyone. You know, it's such a subtle difference, but it's so powerful, yeah, isn't it? It is. And, you know, is, is in the, I'm in a round table with oh, six other CEOs. And it's something we talk about all the time, Eric, is okay, you know, actually, if I apply that to just my house, my finances, my personal relationships, it's actually easier. But when I'm looking at a company and employees and marketing and products and, you know, all the stuff that's involved in business and bringing that exact, because you're, guess what? We're called a steward, you know, that company. That's right. If it's a, you know, if you want to be a kingdom leader in an organization, it's the same exact concept. God owns this company. He owns the accounts receivables. He owns the profit. He owns the intellectual property, all these things. And what does, he, hey, what should, you know, it's the question of what do I need to do, let's say right now to adapt to all these, what's happening in the world? Mm-hmm. Or what does God want me to do? 
because he knows where this business is going and how it fits into his kingdom plans one in two years. That's right. And constantly seeking that, that is something as a group, we are constantly, uh, it's funny, but we have to constantly remind ourselves, Eric. Yeah. Because drifting back into the, what should I, what do I need to do right now? What should I be doing versus just stop and praying just real quick and say, God, there's four things on my plate. Which one should I focus on? Mm. What's the highest and best use of my time? What is the right thing to do in the right way for you right now? And you know what? I got to tell you, just doing it in that order for me has allowed me to really avoid some big mistakes and led to a level of growth that I never expected when, when we started this. Yeah. Well, and it's not, I mean, I want to make sure everybody who's listening, I'm not perfect at this, right? No, none of us. All I told you, we have a group and we, this is something we talk about constantly. And that's also why I think it's really important, your association and having the people around you and sharing them, hey, this is something I struggle with. I struggle with my mindset of being self-focused. What do I need to do to be the one in power, the one in being control, right? And I got to let that go. And I'm working on it, guys. And so you, I give you permission to ask me, how did you make that last decision? What is the reason that you did that? Was that what John wanted? Or did you stop in prayer and, and seek God's guidance? Well, and what's so interesting about this is so this then became, as God made this clearer and clearer, this became the driving force behind Paradigm and what we're doing. When you talk about greatness, growth, governance, and generosity for the direction, it really is, you know, our logo has a shield with a star at the top. The star is Christ because this entire idea of seeking first what God is up to. But what we found, and one of the things that really convicted me inside of my industry and my business on the financial side of things was that so much of it was about chasing down return on investment, this, R, this specific ROI of how do I build more bigger barns? How do I get more? How do I accumulate more? And even, you know, for believers being caught inside of this world of this idea of my life is better when my balance, you know, I measure my greatness and how much things are improving by maybe if my balance sheet goes up. And looking at this idea of no, we were created with an eternal mindset with an eternal stamp. And what God is calling us to do is make an impact on eternity. And how do we transform ourselves today? And it starts by understanding like greatness that we talk about is why does my story even matter? And how do I think about that story inside of not just this balance sheet, but inside of the family and inside of the generations that I'm going to impact. And then the growth side of it, as you said, return on intention, not return on investment. What is Go back to that question, what is God calling me to do with the stuff that he's given to me and how do I make sure that I'm getting return on those things that God is calling me to? Well, yeah, and you talked about greatness and then you also talked about growth and how do you define growth? So growth is defined by what is your return on intention. Mm. So most families are chasing down return on investment. And when they go, I, I've even met believing financial planners and other people that work in kind of the space and rent, attorneys, CPAs, and the mindset of the world is on, again, accumulation. And what we found was uniquely that if we could help families get clear on that question, what is God calling me to do with what I've been asked to steward? What we found was worked with hundreds of families. I have yet to have a family who once they understood what God's intentions were for them, 
that inside of their current plans, they were getting higher than a 50% return on intention. Meaning if you made a list of the things that God was calling them to do and you looked at how they had organized everything financially, they weren't even, not even 50% of it matched. Because what the world is calling them to do and what God has written into the DNA on their heart is different, but no one's taken the time and they haven't taken the time to sit down and say, hey, what am I being intentional about? What is my return on intention? What's an example of that, Eric? Well, so I give you a really good example would be, um, there's a family that we worked with in the tech industry who had put together a plan that was done for them. And the attorney asked them the questions like, well, what do you want to do for your kids? Like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't want to over inherit them. I want to make sure that they live a good lifestyle, but I don't want to put them into a place that, you know, they might choose not to do anything. Attorney said, great. I know exactly what to do. Wrote out the documents, put them together. The family had them. We met the family after this was done. And when we looked at the plan, what the attorney did was pass the inheritance down to the grandkids. And the kids just earned income off of a trust that was established for the children. So what it accomplished was they didn't over-inherit the children. They just over-inherited the grandchildren. And their intention, so a lot of times what you'll find in the legal space is if we don't know what to do and we don't have an answer, then we kick the can down the road and we eliminate the problem we can see and what we end up creating are unintended consequences that sit on the other side of that. Another thing that became really clear to them, not only were once they got clear on what they wanted to do, they didn't want to wait until they passed away to do it. And no one had given them permission or shown them a path of how they could bless their kids while they were living, while still taking care of themselves. And so that was just, that's two areas of intention that they were missing already. One was how could we bless our children and take care of them while they're living? And then the second one was they had accidentally over-inherited their grandchildren without realizing that's what they had done. And they the other thing that was unique about that is when we drew the picture out, showed them that picture, they're like, that's not what I thought happened. That's not what we wanted to have happen. But they had never seen it. They just had requested not to over-inherit their children. Yeah, and sometimes you're just saying, hey, you know, like I love helping my kids out, right? College, you know, we, we came out of our accident, so financially we were not where we wanted to be. But being able to co-sign for the loans, help them pay off the loans, but actually – I'm actually even just thinking about this, right? Because my family relationships were not where I wanted leading up to the accident. And actually writing down a vision for my marriage, a vision for our family, and, and for each, me and each one of the boys was huge. Now, let's yes. say for my wife, right? Yep. We've been married 30 years. You know, 30 years in, right? It's been a lot of work. And one of my visions is that she would always feel like the most loved woman in the world. And I'd fall short of that standard often. Yeah. I'll just be honest with you. But if I say, okay, what do I need to do? Like, hey, we haven't had a date in a couple of weeks, even though we're in the middle of coronavirus. What's something we could go do? I've actually was just thinking about it before this podcast. Like, hey, what if she and I just scheduled the time for two hours and we just go for a little hike and a little picnic? Yeah. Right. Or we just go get a cup of coffee and we go bring it to a, a park, but we just get away out of the house my vision for each one of my kids is as they're all moving into adulthood, they're 22, 21 and 16 is that I want to have the relationship with them. Like I had with my dad, that he was my best friend yeah. and my mentor. Yeah. Right. 
And I think some of the most important fathering he did with me was in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and Mm. 50s, quite frankly. He just (laughs) passed away a few months ago, and I know where he's at, so I'm celebrating for him. I just missed my daily conversations. But then in the present, how I treat my kids, my tone of voice, how I react to situations, who I'm showing up as has a huge impact on whether that future is going to happen or not. Because if I'm not talking about it, what I do in the present doesn't have that anchor. It doesn't have that true north, so to speak. Yeah. What you're talking about is actually when we say greatness, growth, governance is governance. Mm. Because when we talk about governance, it is about who tells your story, but we look at it from four different areas, which is what are your values or the values and purpose of the family? What is the vision And one of the things I loved about what you said was this idea of actually speaking a vision over your wife, speaking a vision over your children. One of the things in vision we talk a lot about is every single one of us walks around with insecurities. Every single one of us walks around doubting ourselves, including our kids. And how many times do you have just this wonderful thought about your kid? Like he's going to do this or he's going to do that. You just think a lot of good things, but you never say it. So inside of vision, creating an environment for families to actually speak the greatness in vision that they see over their kids. And then voice is our third portion of governance. Voice is about giving your kids a voice, not necessarily a vote. So many times our children just don't feel heard. They just want to feel heard. Mm. And giving them a place to say, hey, I will listen to your voice. It doesn't mean it's going to change my mind. But can we respectfully have a conversation and disagree with each other or agree with each other, but we're in the safe place that voice is okay. And then the last one, you can come back to any of these if you want to visit them, is venture. How do we find something that is beyond who we are as a family that collectively we can all work on and use as a greater purpose? And a lot of families that we work with do that through their their giving and their generosity. You were talking about giving through your National Christian Foundation Donor Advice Fund is, you know, is there a place to go volunteer? Is there a place to give? Is there something that's greater than us that can be the venture story of our family? And so those are kind of the four, what you're talking to is exactly what we're looking at inside of that governance section of helping families be more intentional. So Eric, how do people find you, get in touch with you, connect with you after they've heard you here? Yeah. So Send me an email, eric at paradigm.org is the best way to get in touch with me. I am active on LinkedIn. I'm active on Facebook. One of the things that I would just encourage people, if you're interested every morning at 9 a.m. Central, I do a prayer call um, on the weekdays. And that's a real short five-minute call. Um, and it's recorded if you ever want to go back and watch one of those. And then the only other thing I would say, if it's a value, and I believe you'll just put this into the show notes, is we've created something we call a family impact kit, which for those of you who are out there who are like, look, my world is turned upside down. I see a lot of this area and I want to begin to create transformation in my own family. I'm ready to kind of look at this. I see myself working more than I should, or I see just directions that my family communicate better. We created a kit it's designed for families and it's free. All you've got to do is send me an email at eric at paradigm.org and we'll get you a free, all the downloaded links to everything. What it is, is it's a day worth of activities. Break it up as you choose, but helping you begin to explore your own greatness, growth, governance, and generosity inside of your family. Um, there's some exercises over having a meal together, looking at volunteering together as best we can in a COVID world. 
type of thing. But the, really just the desire is that we can just help equip families to think about things that are upside down, as we've been talking about all day. How do I seek first what God's calling me to do and watch everything else fall into alignment? That's awesome. So as we wrap up, let me ask you a question. We're just working with so many families and the, the work you've done, speaking, teaching, equipping. Why should what you're talking about be important to business owners and families? Well, because what we're talking about is living a life of intention. And if you don't have a life of intention, then what you end up with is unintended consequences. Mm. So you don't want to land out. You don't want to end up in the land of smoldering discontent. Because I think <laughs> I shared with you before we hit record, at the time, because I'm, you know, the hours I was working, the where my position in the company, what I was doing in the community, mm. to make any big changes for me almost felt I had this limiting belief that this was, and according to the world, I'd kind of, you know, I, I was doing well. Yeah. And I was really, instead of asking what I wanted, I was, I was trying to cater to what everybody else wanted. I wasn't asking God what he wanted. And I got to tell you, I didn't think I had an out. It really, I really honestly, stuck isn't the right word even. Like I just felt like this was the rest of my life and I just had to grind it out. Yeah. And what I found was the liberating truth there was is that actually I partnering with the father had the power to completely rewrite my story. And the story that we've rewritten together in this season of my life after the accident has been the most rewarding, encouraging, fulfilling, peaceful, joyful place. The place, what I was always seeking before, but didn't know how to get to. Yep. And so I just want to share with people as an encouragement that if life is not what you want right now, I'm not telling you we have the answer, but what I do know is that, you can take one small step toward uh, that, you know, the person that you were designed to be, the life that you want to create, that God wants you to create with him in partnership with him, and that it is a process. And for me, it's been a long process, but I wouldn't take anything back now at all. Yeah, if I could add one thing real quick on that. Yeah. As you said that, what came to mind is, you know, most people spend their life living a good story. How you doing? I'm good. I'm How good. are they? They're doing good. 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 Hey, things are good. Hey. And what we get stuck in, you Liar. talk about, <laughs> we get stuck in that smoldering discontent of we think of all we can do is good. And what God has for us is an opportunity to live a better story. His ways are better if we will trust him. His paths are better, but it is an upside down life. It looks completely different than what everyone else tells us. But keep in mind, everybody else is living good. So why settle for good? God's got a better plan. Love that. Eric, thank you for coming on and sharing that. That was fabulous. Love to have you come back at some point. And yeah. if we ever get a chance to be in the same city at the same time, I, I'd love to... Uh, to get together and give you a big old. No, no, no. We're going to do that because I'm going to when when I get the chance, I'll be in Colorado in the next three or four months. We're going to make it happen. That'd be awesome. I got to tell you, maybe is Chris in College Station? He is. So what if we all got together for an Aggie game <laughs> back when they're playing football again? And maybe like, next year, maybe the year 50 after. Fifty capacity. I would love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brother. Be well and uh, keep knocking alive, man. I will. Thank you, John. I appreciate it.